invite you all to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to start in the first verse this morning, verse 1. Verse 1 of Matthew, chapter 11, indicates a transition in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 10 was all about the mission that Jesus was giving his apostles and what they could expect to happen to them when they went on that mission. And it wasn't all good and happy and positive. Jesus, in fact, told them to expect opposition, to expect hostility to them and to their message. And one of the reasons to expect that hostility was because Jesus, their Lord, would be experiencing hostility himself. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. What, what, what happens to the, the leader is going to happen to the followers. And really, in chapters 11 and 12, the hostility about Jesus begins to heat up. The, 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 the heat gets turned on. and It was already kind of there and simmering, but now it's being brought to a boil. Now, we all know where that hostility ends up, right? It ends up culminating on an old rugged cross outside of Jerusalem. Jesus has met some opposition so far, some, some complaining, some sniping at him, but now it really begins to build, and it begins to force some people to rethink Jesus, including, surprisingly, perhaps, John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? I know we've been going really slow through Matthew. It seems like there was a long time since we were introduced to him back in chapter 3. What was John's main message? Repent. For why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. Then Jesus picked that up and he then preached that. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. John also said this. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Remember that? Remember John the Baptist? This is the man who baptized Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and the voice of God the Father gushed over His Son. Well, in in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, Matthew told us that John had been put into prison. So that's that's the last we've heard about John the Baptist in the Gospel of Matthew. He's actually been thrown into prison by a man named Herod. Not Herod the Great that tried to kill Jesus before, but one of his sons, Herod Antipas. He put him into prison for preaching all this stuff about repentance. And I'm not sure how much time has gone by, but John is still in prison. Okay, get that in your head. He's proclaimed Jesus. He's pointed to Jesus. He's baptized Jesus. And now he's in prison. And he's he's been in prison for some time. And he's starting to have some questions. He's starting to have some doubts. I mean, he knows what he's seen and he knows what he's heard and he believes it all, but he's starting to think that maybe he has misinterpreted what he has seen and what he's heard. And he he can't get out of prison to ask his questions. 
So he sends some of his followers to ask Jesus one key question. And we're going to make that the title of our message today. Are you the one? Are you the one? Let's read verses 1 through 3 of Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples about the mission, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one? Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Would you pray with me? Lord, we already know the answer to that question. We've been singing about it all morning. But help us to see how Jesus answers it and what that means for us today. Thank you for 126 years of your faithfulness to the church and this church's faithfulness to you. Help us to stay faithful this morning in the preaching of your word. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me ask you a question as we get started here. Is Jesus who you thought he was? Is Jesus who you thought he was? Now, for some of you, I'm, I'm sure you would say that you've just about always had the same idea of who Jesus is, though it's grown and matured and strengthened over time. You were well taught, perhaps from infancy. So the Jesus you thought he was, as you got to know him better in the Bible and in your own personal relationship with him, is just about the same as you always expected him to be. But many of the rest of you would probably say that you've been pretty surprised to find out who Jesus really is. What Jesus is really like. You kind of had this idea and then you started to read your Bible and like, whoa. As you read the Gospels, you get a very different picture than what you had already, always expected. Maybe what you thought Jesus was from what pop culture says about who he is. Or just ideas that floated around. When you read the Bible, you're like, wow, this is different. Jesus often turns our expectations upside down. He doesn't do what we always thought he would do. I think that's at the heart of John's question. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? The first thing I want you to see is that it's okay to have doubts and questions. You see that? We're going to see in a moment that Jesus thought very highly of John. Jesus doesn't get mad at John in the slightest for airing his doubts and asking his questions. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to try to find answers. Some of you here probably have big questions about Jesus. I'm glad you're here today. There are answers for your questions. Don't be afraid to ask them. Notice what John does with these questions. He takes them, or he sends them, as the case may be, to Jesus. See, this is not unbelief. He doesn't talk Jesus down or run away from Jesus or turn his back on Jesus because of his questions. He goes towards Jesus with these questions, and he seeks answers. And specifically, he asks, are you the one? Are you the one who was to come, the one I was preaching about? It must have been, just think of what it was like to be John the Baptist. He's in prison, Jesus is out of prison, 
the Messiah is supposed to set the captives free, right? I got these chains. And John had said that this one who was to come would baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And John's saying, where's the fire? The one who was to come is supposed to have a winnowing fork and clean house and gather the wheat and burn up the chaff. Where's the fire? Or am I missing something, he said. Is this the kingdom? Because it's not quite what I expected. Are you the one who is to come? Or am I missing something? Are we supposed to be looking still for someone beyond you? Now, what's the answer to that question? Is Jesus the one who was to come? Do you feel the question? Do you sometimes wonder if Jesus was who he was supposed to be? If Jesus is blank, then how come he blanks? Is Jesus who you thought he was? Is Jesus who John thought he was? You already know the right answer. Everybody in this room knows the the right answer. For 126 years, this church has stood for the right answer to that question. But at this moment, John wasn't so sure he had it right. Is it an important question? There might not be a more important question in the whole world than are you the one, Jesus? Here's how Jesus answered. Look at verse 4. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. I think that's a yes. Now, Jesus doesn't come out and say it. Instead, he shows it. His whole ministry has shown it. He says, so what was the kingdom supposed to be like? What did Isaiah 35 say? What did Isaiah 61 say the kingdom was going to be like? Was it about blind people being able to see again? Check. Was it the lame being able to walk again? Check. Was it, was it about the lepers being cured? Was it the deaf being able to hear again? Was it about the dead being raised to life? Because that happened. Was it about the poor hearing the gospel? Well, I just sent out 12 into the countryside to preach it. Those things are happening right here, right now, because I am here. Now, I believe from that moment on, John the Baptist did not falter. He had his answer. Yes, Jesus is the one. Now, you and I knew that that was going to be the case already. So I want to focus on the results of getting the answer right and on getting the answer wrong. Because that's where Jesus goes with this next. Did you, did you see, did you hear that big powerful word in verse 6? There is a really strong word in verse 6. Blessed. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed. Yes, that's the same word as we saw back in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that a few months ago? 
Same word is used in the, in the Beatitudes. We translated it. How did we translate it? Flourishing. Right? A few months ago. Flourishing is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Flourishing is the person who decides that even if Jesus seems different than they initially expected, they will stick with him to the end. The person who answers the question, is Jesus the one who was to come with a big old yes, will be blessed. Kevin, would you give me that slide? Yes, blessed. See, that's really simple. If you answer the question that yes, Jesus is the one who was to come, even if he's different than I expected, then you will be blessed. You see that? Think about that word, blessed. I want that. And I want that for everybody I know. Now there's a mild rebuke here. Or at least a warning to John to not fall away. When he sends him back, when he sends those disciples back and he says, blessed is the one who's not fall away on account of me. He's saying, don't fall away on account of me. On account of Jesus not being what he thought Jesus would be like. Don't bail on Jesus halfway there. Because if you go there, you'll miss this. You'll miss the blessing. You won't flourish. The person who answers the question, is Jesus the one who was to come with a big old yes, will be blessed. That's where flourishing is. That's why this church has centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. 126 years. We have sought to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship through Jesus what? Christ, Jesus Messiah. We've said, yes, He is the one who was to come. We've proclaimed to this community that Jesus Christ is the one. We've built our whole church around Him. And if you trust Him and don't fall away, you will be unimaginably blessed. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's what we're all about and we have been all of these years. And that's what we're about today. So I have to ask, do you know Jesus as your own Lord and Savior? Do you know Jesus as your Messiah, your King? Have you answered, yes, He is the one in your heart for you? If you have answered that question with a trusting yes, then you'll be blessed. You'll find life. You'll find eternal life and eternal flourishing. Even if you have to go to prison and they chop off your head. Because that's what's going to happen to John when we get to chapter 14. Jesus just said he was going to be blessed. This is how he gets blessed? His head gets chopped off? I'm sure he was blessed. And I'm sure that John the Baptist is flourishing right now and will forever. That's what we believe. Jesus has more to say about John. Look at verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, with Jesus' answer for him, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Here's Jesus' sermon on John the Baptist. What did you go out into the desert to see? 
A reed swayed by the wind? I doubt it. John was not a creaky old weather vane, not a weak man who did what others expected him to. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes, like a slick and smiling televangelist? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces, and this guy did not wear fine clothes. And he's in the king's jail, not the king's palace. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This John is the one about whom it was written in Malachi 3, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see how Jesus talks about John? Is he mad at John for his questions? No. He thinks John is the bee's knees, right? John is the greatest man who ever lived up to this point. Why? Because John has been all along pointing to people to Jesus as the Messiah. Because John knew the right answer to this question and had dedicated his life to telling people about it. And he's paid for it dearly. Look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Now that's a difficult verse to translate in the Greek. But I think it simply means that the kingdom has been under attack and it's still under attack by people like Herod. Herod Antipas. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because Jesus has just told them that they're going to be sent like sheep among wolves. Remember that? There are wolves out there and they eat sheep. But don't worry. They can't really hurt you. Even if you get gobbled up. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. You see what he's saying? He's saying that John stood at a very special place in history. He was, the, he was a prophet. He was the last prophet of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. And he got to tip everybody into the New Testament. The, the New Testament, into the, into the New Covenant. He got to say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the fulfillment of that passage in Malachi that Peter Bors preached here a couple weeks ago. He preached from Malachi 4, right? J- John was the fulfillment of that passage that Peter Bors was reading to you a couple weeks ago. Malachi 4. John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was the voice in the wilderness saying, Here comes the Lord, get ready. He was the one saying, yes, Jesus is the one who is to come. Now don't miss what Jesus said about you and me in verse 11. Did you catch it when I read it? Ah, let's come back to it in a minute. It's so good we'll end with it. But first let's consider what happens if you answer this question incorrectly. What happens if you get it totally wrong? Well, it's quite the opposite of blessing. Jesus uses the word woe. If you answer it no, then you'll experience woe. See how easy this is? Yes, blessed. No, woe. Right? If you answer this question wrong, it's curse. It's judgment. It's trouble. 
It's danger. That's what he means by woe. And sadly, that's what was coming for many in Jesus' day because they were rejecting him. Look at verse 16. To what can I compare this generation of people rejecting me? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Nothing would make you happy. You didn't play along. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. We say the proof is in the pudding. You get the picture? It's like one group of children are playing Simon Says. Okay? Simon says this. Simon says this. Whatever Simon says, that's what we do. But there's this other spoiled group of people who don't play along. They're like, I don't care what Simon says. There's no way I'm going to do what Simon says. I don't care if it's something I even want to do. I'm not doing it. That's the picture. Nothing makes these people happy. They are full of excuses. Always an excuse. If John the Baptist comes along and he's wearing that camel, that camel's hair, he's eating the locusts and the honey, and he, he's fasting, and they say, what's wrong with him? He got a demon or something? And then Jesus comes along and he says, okay, well, I'll eat. I'll drink. Let's go ahead. Let's have a feast. And they're like, why is he doing that with those people? Does he know that them's those people? They were rejecting John and they were rejecting Jesus, even though wisdom would say that these guys were obviously telling the truth. Look at the works. These people wouldn't play God's game, no matter what. And so Jesus pronounces, woe. Verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. That's what's key there. They answered this question wrong. They said, He is not the one who is to come. No way. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for those pagan cities, Tyre and Sidon, on the day of judgment than for you who should know better. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, sinful Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. If you ultimately answer this question with no, then it will be woe for you. Notice a couple things about this passage. First, that Jesus knows what might have been. Theologians call that middle knowledge or contingent knowledge. Jesus knows what might have been under different circumstances. He knows every move on the chessboard and what would happen if different moves had been made. Every contingency. That's amazing. Now, he doesn't normally tell us what might have been. Normally, he holds that one close to the chest. Often it would not be good for us to know what would have happened if. But he always knows. 
And that helps me to trust Him. Notice also that Jesus thinks that He's a pretty big deal. Doesn't He? We're always saying in the Gospel of Matthew, who does He think He is? Well, obviously, from this passage, Jesus thinks that our eternal destiny hinges on whether or not we believe that He was the one to come. And these cities who saw Him do the miracles were rejecting Him. And Jesus says that they did so at their own peril. Notice also that you can see miracles and not believe. Sometimes we're like, well, if I just saw a miracle, then I'd be in. But it doesn't work that way. There are plenty of people who saw the miracles. There's always an excuse. There's always a way to not believe. There's always a way to say, I'm I'm not playing that game. They can be ignored or explained away or rejected too. And also notice that the fire is still to come. John the Baptist hadn't been wrong about the fire. He hadn't been wrong about the winnowing fork or clearing the threshing floor or the chaff being burned up. He just didn't know the timing. When Jesus came the first time, He came to save. When Jesus comes again, He'll rescue His people, but He will also come to judge Woe to you if you answer this question wrongly. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Some people think, oh, judgment, that's Old Testament. New Testament's just grace. New Testament is full of grace. But Jesus promises there's a judgment coming. The day of judgment is still to come. And the question is, are you ready for it? For 126 years, this church has proclaimed salvation through Jesus and proclaimed the return of Jesus to fulfill all of God's promises and all of God's threats. If you ultimately answer the question, is Jesus the one who was to come with no, there will be nothing for you but woe. The fire is still to come. If that's you right now, I call upon you to repent. I take no joy in sharing with you about this judgment that is to come. No malignant glee. Just a sober warning to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn and trust in Jesus. Because He is everything He was promised to be and so much more. And if you do, you'll be blessed. These are the two choices. There's a big question in front of everybody. Is Jesus the one to come? If you answer yes, with faith, you're blessed. If you answer no, with unbelief, whoa. Let's go back to verse 11 as we close. I don't want you to miss this. You and I are in verse 11. Did you hear your name when I read it in verse 11? He says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, anybody here not born of a woman? Okay, so that's everybody. Of everyone of those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
greater than John the Baptist. How about that? Do you know how blessed you are? If you are in the kingdom of heaven, then you are greater than John the Baptist. Even if you're the least in the kingdom, you're greater than John the Baptist. And he was primo great. How come? How can we be greater? Well, John did not live to see the cross or the resurrection. He could only see it from before. But you and I, we live after. We live on this side of the cross in the empty tomb. The new covenant is not just promised, but in effect. John saw it all. He saw it all playing out right before his eyes. He pointed at Jesus. There's the Lamb of God. But he never saw the Lamb be slaughtered. He never saw the Lamb standing again. The Holy Spirit that John had foretold, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He didn't see that. He lost his head before then. But we know what happened in Acts chapter 2. We live on this side of the Holy Spirit's coming. In fact, the Holy Spirit that John had foretold is now living inside of you right now if you're a believer. He's living inside of you right now. John didn't have that. Not like that. Lance Free Church, every believer here is blessed to be greater than John the Baptist. And that's saying a lot. We are so blessed. Not because we're so great, but because Jesus is the one who was to come.